Good morning. Though I may not sound like it, I am Beth Martin Berkey with a cold. Um, and I welcome you to today's convocation by Dr. Terry Russ. She's from nearby St. Mary's College in South Bend. And it should be a 45 minute drive, but construction and rain always makes it a little challenging. So she got to see Wakarusa. How exciting is that? Um, but we're very happy to have Terry here today. Terry is an associate professor of communication studies and affiliate faculty of gender and women's studies at St. Mary's. She has her BA in English from Purdue University, a JD from DePaul College of Law, and a PhD in communication and feminist cultural studies also from Purdue. Her topic today, I'm too busy to be well. Well, that's kind of an ironic topic given that I'm sick, I didn't think about that. Um, her topic today, I'm too busy to be well, was not actually the topic I initially invited her to speak on. She has a 2008 book titled Bitchin' Bodies, Young Women's Stories of Body Dissatisfaction. And I invited her to speak about health and body issues for men and women. But as we were discussing her visit, she commented on her current interest in the way we talk about the busyness of our lives and the way that relates to health. And that seemed like a really fitting topic, especially at this point in the semester, when we're all facing the intensity of papers and projects. Dr. Russ's ability to bridge academic interests and everyday concerns is evident in today's topic, as well as in her scholarship, her speaking engagements, and her community work. For example, she's the founder of the Michiana Women Leaders Project, which documents and records the contributions of women leaders in the Michiana area. She's also volunteered at the Center for the Homeless in South Bend, where she regularly takes um, classes, such as her public communications class, to work with adults and children there. I think she was just had a class there last night. In 2013, she received the Indiana Campus Compact Award for exemplary fact faculty in the scholarship of engagement, which speaks to her continued work with experiential learning. Another fun form of community engagement is seen in her work as the co-founder of the Feminist Foundation of South Bend, through which she dons a superhero cape and boots to practice everyday activism as a feminist superhero. Now, it's not necessarily like the Supergirl series that was just launched, and you'll need to talk to her for more details. I had to turn down an invitation this summer to a Make Your Own Cape event. I hope to be able to join her in the future. Through these efforts, um, Dr. Russ tries to bridge the gap between higher education and the community. In addition to her academic pursuits, Terry hikes and is interested in what she calls reframing and reclaiming feminine crafts such as sewing and embroidery as more than just those things your grandma does and is a vital tool in maintaining spiritual, emotional, and physical wellness. I'm pleased she'll be sharing some of her insights into wellness today, and I ask you to join me in welcoming Dr. Terry Russ. Thank you. So I need a big deep breath as I just come off the county roads of Elkhart County completely lost. Um, but I have, despite living in this area for eight years, I now know where Wakarusa is. So at this point in the semester, I'm really happy that you took a few moments to come and regroup and sit and spend some time with me. Um, I understand you're just back from fall break, as are we. And that's always a mixed blessing part of the semester because fall break, you get that nice little respite. 
and then you're thrust into the end of the semester with its increasing pressures and time demands and papers and essays and tests and all those things. And so with that in mind, I just want to take a few minutes to talk to you today about wellness, which is a very hot button topic. Um, it seems that everywhere we turn, we hear or see something about wellness, physical wellness, mental wellness, emotional, um, sorry, <laughs> spiritual, relational, um, all these things. And we know that this is something that we should be practicing. Um, wellness should be a part of any healthy lifestyle, yet for some reason, we don't always do that. I mean, I think that there's many potential reasons that we see that happening, but one of the things that I've been noticing lately is a connection between being busy and being or not being well. And so that's what I want to talk about today. As a communication scholar, my interest is in discourses of everyday life, which is one of those great academic phrases that make us sound really important, but are really hard to figure out. Um, so what that means essentially is I'm interested in the larger things that are happening in society and the ways that those are communicated, but more importantly, how we take those up and talk about them in our everyday life. And so a couple years ago, I started noticing a change in the ways that we interact with each other. And so you know, when you're walking across campus, there's a standard greeting. You see someone and you usually say, hi, how are you? The response is usually, great, great, okay. Or if you know the person a little bit longer, you might actually take a moment and engage with them. But what I noticed was this shift where when I say, hi, how are you? The response is busy, crazy busy, but that's a good problem to have. And I've noticed it in emails. I've noticed myself doing it. And so as a good scholar, I started thinking about what does this mean? And why is this happening? And, and I'm not the only one thinking about this. There's an increasing amount of tension, attention being devoted to busyness. And such that busyness and being busy has become like a badge of honor. It's a certain cachet. So it's not just that we're busy, it's that we get to say that we're busy. And that helps position us as very important people who have lots of things going on in our lives. And of course we don't have time for anything trivial. Um, Dr. Susan Coven um, has been studying this and she's noticed this with patients that come to her and she's identified this condition of busyness, excessive busyness, and calls it a growing epidemic. Um, additionally, Michael Marmot, um, has started delving into this. And the research in this area is pretty new. But he identifies two types of busyness. And so there's busyness that we can't control. And we see this a lot in the working poor. So for example, the single mother who's working two, three jobs trying to support her kids. She is legitimately busy. She is running from one spot to the next, trying to make sure that her bills are paid, trying to make sure that her kids are where they need to be, and trying to find time to sleep somewhere in the midst of all that. In higher ed, we see this type of busyness around the end of the semester, where for students, you have all of these papers and tests, quizzes, those participation points that you've been putting off 
earning throughout the semester are now due. Faculty, we have all those papers and tests and participation points to grade, and staff have all those tasks, those goals that you set for the year that you didn't really meet. That's busyness beyond our control. Um, what I'm interested in, though, is the busyness that we can control, the busyness that we do to ourselves. Um, and like I said, busyness provides a type of reassurance. It's a way for us to position ourselves and show that we have value. Um, what's interesting is that we've seen a shift. And so work has become a virtue, and we can trace this back to our Puritan ancestors who created the Puritan work ethic. And what's interesting about that is that we kind of forget that God created work as a form of punishment. And so when we engage in extra work, we're in effect busying ourselves. And so what do I mean by this busyness that we control, this sense of urgency and panic and this constant feeling the need to rush? Part of this comes about because we now live, as you all know, in a 24-7 world. Um, we have instant access to any and all information that we have. We can send an email any time of the night. I'm really guilty about this. For certain people who I want to make sure that they know how busy I am, I'll wait until midnight to send them the email to say, look, how, look at me. It's the middle of the night and I'm still working. Um, with instant access comes instant accessibility. So it's not just that we can access this information. It's that we should also be accessible. So when we get that email, we should respond immediately. And we have all of these little things to help us. So our smartphones will notify us every single time somebody responds to our Instagram photo, somebody likes our picture on Facebook, somebody sends us an email. In addition to all of that, as if that's not enough, can you feel the tension building, right, just as we talk about all this? So then we have this choices, unlimited choices. And just a couple weeks ago, The Guardian ran this great article about the ideology of choice. So I have a minor shoe addiction. I spend a little too much time looking at shoes and buying shoes, wearing amazing shoes. Um, so I can go online anytime I want and shoe shop. And let's say I'm right now I'm in the, in the market for a pair of black boots, right? I have unlimited choices, not just in the physical stores that I go to, but also in terms of what I find online. So on the one hand, that's good because I get to find the perfect pair of black boots. But on the other hand, that means no matter what pair of black boots I find, there might be one pair that's even better. And even if I find that ultimate pinnacle black pair of boots, there might be a store, an online store that offers it cheaper. I might save $10 or I might get free shipping. And so what happens is we get wrapped up in all of these choices. And we spend hours and hours and hours looking. And I just know from, I will not even tell you how many hours I've spent already on these black boots. So what happens, a couple things happen here. We're starting to see in neuroscience changes in the cognitive structure and cognitive processing in terms of the ways that our minds function. And I'm not gonna bore you with neuroscience today. It's not my field. I can't even pretend to be an expert in it. 
But what I am an expert in is interactions and the ways that we communicate with each other. And so all of this 24-7 access, accessibility, and choices changes the ways that we interact with each other. So way back in grad school, when we had regular cell phones that were just phones that you called on, and they were really big and monstrous, horrible. One of my favorite memories from that time was during what we called the Friday Afternoon Club. Friday Afternoon Club was a social activity for graduate students, and it was a typical graduate student social activity. So while there might have been adult beverages involved, um, we spent a lot of time working and talking, and our breaks were usually consumed with some sort of discussion. And so this night in particular, we spent hours talking about whether it was better to be an anomaly or an enigma. And we went back and forth trying to figure out, because those are those words that you kind of know what they mean, but when it comes time to define them and explicate the differences, it becomes a little confusing. In case you're wondering, I decided I was an enigma. To this day, I stick with that. But what's interesting about that is that we really did. We just were in this moment of three hours of enigma discussion. And to this day, when we see each other at conferences, we still talk about that moment, and we still lapse into the conversation. Now, were that conversation to occur today, we might spend a few minutes discussing it, and then we would all bring out our phones and look up what anomaly means, and look up what enigma means, and then we would systematically categorize each of us into the categories, maybe have a little bit of discussion, and then move on. And so instead of having this great interactional bonding moment, we would have a categorization moment, I guess? I'm not really sure what it would be. And this is emblematic of what we see as this growing task mentality. So along with everything that technology brings us is the ability to get things done, or we think to get things done. And so everything becomes something that you should check off. And this is where wellness comes back into the equation. Because wellness becomes just another task. It's another thing that we have to do. Um, this past spring, and this is where I started to make this connection. This past spring, I was lucky enough to have a sabbatical. Um, purpose of sabbatical is to refresh, regroup, Maybe do some research if you have time, but really just pause and find yourself. I didn't know how to do that. I was thrust into this moment of what do I do? So being a good scholar, I started a new journal and I said, I will research what I do on my sabbatical and I will write a paper about it. And I started a daily list of the things that I did in addition to hiking. I said, today I hike 2.7 miles at this pace. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. After about a week of that, I realized there's something really messed up about this. I'm supposed to be relaxing. And instead, I've just added another task to my never-ending list of tasks. And so, this is an example of segmented wellness, right? Wellness is just something you have to do. And we all have to do this. And thankfully, 
there are a lot of resources out there to help us. There's a growing wellness industry. So if we're not sure how we should be well, all we have to do is turn to that 24-7 information and we can find information. So for example, fats are bad for you, so you shouldn't eat too many of them. However, good fats should be incorporated into your daily diet. And this is how the information is presented, so what does that really mean? We know that eggs are bad for you, unless this is the week that they're good for you. And the only thing that we really know is that they're very expensive right now. Um, we know that you should work out at least five times per week at a moderate pace for 60 minutes. However, short, intense workouts are best, but walking at a slow pace three times per week is better than running. This is the information I found in one quick search. I have no idea what any of that means. I don't really know where I should go. I know that I still eat eggs. Um, in addition to all this advice, there are multiple books that will help us. And so I went to Amazon to see what some of these books are. I want to share some of these titles with you. There is Wellness Coaching for Lifestyle Change, The New Health Rules, Simple Changes to Achieve Whole Body Wellness, and one of my favorites, The 22 Non-Negotiable Laws of Wellness. Take your health in your own hands to feel, think, and live better than you ever thought possible. So what we see here is that wellness really is a task. There are rules. There are non-negotiable laws. So again, it's just a matter of figuring it out, and then in some sense, it'll make sense, and then you'll magically be well. But in case you need more help, there's an app. There's an app for everything. So we have Fitbit and other trackers. And how many of you have Fitbits or Drawbones or other trackers? A few. I have one hidden in here. If you have a Fitbit, you know that on the one hand, they're awesome because they track every step you take. You have tangible proof of how fit you are because your Fitbit has told you you can track your food, you can track your water, you can track your sleep, you can track your workouts. Again, creating all these lists. If that's not enough, you have apps like RunKeeper. RunKeeper will help you chart your fitness track, keep track of it, keep track of your pace, and then give you virtual rewards when you work out a certain time certain number of times per week, or beat your previous record. And sometimes those virtual rewards actually become real rewards in the forms of coupons that you can buy, used to buy more fitness products, more wellness products. There's luminosity for brain health. If, you haven't, if you're not familiar with this, it's um, a brain challenge game, essentially, that gives you these different things to do to work your brain in different ways. If you've never done it, I will warn you right now, it is addicting. And it's addicting in the same way that all these other wellness procedures are because it not only tracks what you're doing, but it rewards you for doing better. So on the one hand, that's good because you get to improve your brain health. But then on the other hand, improving your brain health becomes another task that you have to do. And there's even apps such as Headspace. Headspace is a meditation. App. Um, and these are really counter 
intuitive. Meditation is supposed to be a time when you ground yourself, when you come into yourself, focus on your breathing, let the cares of the world go. That's really hard to do when you're focused on an app. And if it, as if all of that's not enough, there's even a growing pet wellness industry so that you can make sure that your pets achieve optimal wellness. And so with this, we really start to see that direct connection between busyness and wellness. The information's there, and it's there in multiple forms and formats. So whether you're high tech, low tech, no tech, you can access the information. There's a seemingly endless list, those options of choices, that ideology of choice. Once again, we see it played out here. However, they're not true choices. They're choices in terms of the form that you take, but it's not a choice of whether to do it or not. You must choose to be well. To not choose wellness results in a cycle of self-blame, anxiety, becomes a moral obligation. And this is an interesting growing phenomenon as well. Cedar Storm and Spicer call this the wellness syndrome. Um, they identify this as a move from wellness shifting from being a general concept of feeling and doing good to something that we have to do to live a truthful life. So what happens is wellness becomes a type of bio-morality. There's a moral demand to be happy and healthy. It's a moral mandate. So it's not simply that you can be well. You must be well. And if you are not well, it's your own fault. We see this all over with various types of shaming. I have a friend up in Minnesota who focuses on fat shaming. And she's constantly showing me more and more examples. I let her use a picture of me in a bathing suit for one of her studies. The responses that came back were things like, what is that cow doing in a bathing suit? Who is she to think she can be on a beach in public like that? Oh my god, the horrors, I can't unsee it. I consider myself a pretty well person, but I'm not well enough. The choices I've made are not sufficient. So what happens then, if I were to take these to heart, as many of us do, and add to that increasing busyness, we turn exercise, we turn being well into wellness optimization. So what happens is the examined life moves from being a philosophical inquiry to an exercise in tracking. Cedar Storm and Spicer say self-quantification promises self-knowledge through numbers. So if we simply track the right wellness, track the right focus, we can develop a body of evidence that will help us prove how well we are. Again, another task. And so what happens is this gets added into our already overburdened lives and usually gets shelved. 
because there's always another email to respond to. There's always another paper that you could or should write. There's always another Facebook like that you could get. If you post the right picture, you'll get those hundred or a thousand likes. So I wanna challenge you at this point in the semester and moving forward. I want you to challenge the social shift of busyness and wellness as a task and reincorporate wellness differently into your life. Practice what I call deliberate mindfulness. So the easy answer here is to unplug. I'm not gonna ask you to unplug because I know the stress that that will create. I will tell you though, if you ever get the opportunity to unplug, do it. Four years ago, I had the opportunity to spend the summer in Cody, Wyoming. Cody is 50 miles south of Yellowstone. It's a little town of less than 10,000 in between the Grand Teton and uh, I don't even remember which other mountains at this point. Um, beautiful. Horse country, cowboy country. This is where you see real cowboys. There's a sign on one of the bars that says, uh, horses not allowed in here. And they had to put that sign up because people were riding their horses into the bar. Um, I, I was actually staying about 10 miles outside of Cody, closer to Yellowstone. Unbeknownst to me, it's a dead zone. One of those few dead zones when you look at the Verizon maps or the Sprint maps where there's no coverage of anything, that's where I was. When I got there, I right away took a selfie, went to post the selfie of me with the beautiful mountains in the background on Facebook, realized I couldn't do it. Uh, and it was the middle of the night. I didn't really know where I was. I had just come off a 24-hour drive. So I went to sleep, panicked. What, I, what was I missing? Was there an email that I should have responded to? I woke up the next morning, momentarily forgot about it because I was in the mountains and it's beautiful and you have to enjoy the mountains and there's that mountain air which you can't even recreate in any form. But what happened is over my time there I realized I didn't need to be plugged in. Yes, I missed some emails. Yes, I missed a lot of Facebook and Instagram posts. But ultimately everybody understood it. Since then I've gone back to Wyoming a couple times and I always deliberately unplug. So what I would challenge you to do is to create a selective Wyoming unplug moment for yourself. And start off small, 30 minutes. No technology, just don't do it. Hide your phone, give it to a friend, do something where you're not engaged with that device for a few minutes. Another thing that you can do is think about all of those notifications. Every single time something happens, you're notified. You get an email, you get a notification. Somebody posts on Facebook, you get a notification. Post on Instagram, you get a notification. Post on Snapchat, you get a notification. All of these notifications. In addition to the text messages that you're getting, if you have people who still use the phone as a phone, you're getting voicemails as well. So think about, do you really need all of those notifications? What's gonna happen if you don't respond to an email instantly? I can tell you, as somebody who doesn't respond to emails, who's turned off all of her notifications, I still have a job. I've not had any negative repercussions. I say, 
I check email a couple times a day. I will get back to you as soon as possible. If it's really urgent, call me. Pick up the phone and engage with me. So just try it. Another thing that you can do is practice conscious wellness. So think about the fact, being well, spiritual wellness, emotional wellness, physical wellness, these really are important. As you get older, your bodies change. I'm learning this the hard way. I never believed that I would feel my joints or feel my back in the morning or have to kind of roll on my side instead of jumping out of bed. I'm seeing that happen. So find ways that you can incorporate all of this information, all these trackers, in a more meaningful way. So like I said, I have a Fitbit. Um, I no longer obsessively track my steps. I still try to do 10,000 a day. I realize how much I'm not obsessively tracking when I was looking at one of my weekly reports, and there was a day where I had walked 9,996 steps. My first response was, oh, I was four steps short of that little green star. But it's okay. Instead, I use my Fitbit to remind me to be active for at least 30 minutes a day. And what I do is I selectively unplug. So when I go, I go hike for at least 30 minutes. And a lot of times I'll get out in the woods and I'll be like, you know what? This is too awesome not to be out here. I'm going 60 minutes. I don't take my phone with me. I leave it in the car. You never get lost in the woods, especially around here. We're not like in the wilds of Wyoming. There's always a way back. You can usually hear traffic and just move toward the traffic. But it's a way to blend all of those aspects of wellness into one. For those moments in your life when you truly are busy, the busyness without control, find a token that will help you ground yourself and remind yourself of what you could do or should do. I have this rock. This rock is from um, the Black Mountain Fires Memorial Track in Wyoming. It was, it's a memorial that's three miles up a mountain um, in memory of the firefighters who died in Yellowstone. I picked it up. I didn't pick it up to be a token. I picked it up because the way it's uh, worn down, it fits perfectly in my hand. And there was a mountain lion tracking me and I thought I might need to hit a mountain lion, and in my city girl mindset, I'm like, if I have a rock, I can kill a mountain lion. <laughs> Thankfully, that didn't happen. But I keep it now, and I keep it with me, so that when I have days of nonstop meetings, I can hold it. I can remind myself of my mantra, which is rock, tree, water. I need nature to re-energize. I need to remind myself of that. When I can't do it, my rock reminds me. And then if I'm in a really bad meeting, I can fantasize about the things I could possibly do with the rock for those people that are really annoying me. Not that I ever would, of course. If nothing else, I challenge you to have an enigma moment. Engage, unplug with your friends, and engage in true conversation no matter what it means, decide whether you're an enigma or an anomaly. If nothing else, breathe deep and enjoy the rain. Thank you.